Hi, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to the NFCast Bioinformatics Podcast, where we discuss the latest advancements at the intersection of biology and informatics. In this podcast, we celebrate the brilliant people and organizations that are changing the world through advancements in genomics and life sciences. And our guest today is one of those brilliant people, I believe. His name is Cedric Notre Dame. Uh, Cedric has a degree in biochemistry and genetics at Toulouse University, and did his PhD in bioinformatics at the European Bioinformatics Institute near Cambridge, of course. He became a senior principal investigator in the bioinformatics and genomics program at the Center of Genomic Regulation in Barcelona. We know it as CRG, of course. Cedric's notable scientific achievements to this day have been uh, NextFlow, which is uh, very near and dear to our hearts, and the T-Coffee multiple sequence alignment algorithm. His work has received over 39,000 citations, which is more than I have. Uh, Cedric has co-authored a book written for me, I believe, Bioinformatics for Dummies, and it has sold over 40,000 copies worldwide. So Cedric, welcome. Glad to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rob, for inviting me and, uh, and having me here. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, my, my pleasure. So you recently were presented with the Swiss Institute of Bioinformatics Resource Innovation Award at the Basel Computing Biology Conference for NextFlow. And you wrote a blog post at that time, Flowing in Love with Data Again and Again. It sounds a bit like a song. So we'll show a link to that, uh, that blog below here. But the blog discussed the history and the evolution of the NextFlow project. And you were at the very beginning of the project. You were one of the main protagonists in the story. I'd love to start there at the beginning of the project. So t- tell us how NextFlow got started. It's a, it's a, it's a long story actually. It's uh, it took about six years almost from uh, the day we had the idea that something needed to be done along these lines till something really materialized. And uh, uh, interestingly, it all started with Anna Tramontano. And some of you uh, uh, listening to this may have heard about Anna, who has been a major founding figure of bioinformatics. And Anna died uh, unfortunately two years ago, too young. And um, Anna once told me, Cedric, you know, I once mentioned to Anna, oh, I'd like to do some computation on Amazon and all these things, exciting, all these cloud things. This was very new at the time. And then I said, I have just the guy you need. It's a master's student. He was a computer scientist. He decided to turn into a biologist. You should take him in your lab. And uh, I don't remember Anna giving any bad advice. And this one was especially good because this advice was actually Paolo. And Paolo came in my lab. And uh, he worked on this crazy project at the time, which was uh, bench- benchmarking the Amazon cloud with dollars. So he was running fee and just measuring in dollar how much computation had been done. And um, this, you know, this led to quite a nice paper called Cloud Coffee at the time. And um, so we stayed on the idea that we had to do something with the cloud because... Uh, uh, it looked like this was a nice way of running, of powering up your computation when you needed it. You know, every once in a while you need a lot of computation, poof, do it on the cloud and the rest of the time you do it locally. Paolo was excited with this and he started trying. But at the time, the Amazon cloud was really not designed for this kind of thing, especially the, mo- the memory was not properly shared that this was causing. So you had the choice between getting things that were running fast and crashing rapidly or running very, very slowly, but very stable. And that was not good. But at some point we thought we had something and we proposed Jamin, one of my PhD students, to run a massive computation he had to do. And this was, uh, he was computing alignments and trees and he had to compute millions of them. 
And so we prepared the fattest, strongest instances on Amazon and most expensive as well. And we launched the computation. And my money started burning, flames coming out of that. And this was, and nothing was computed. Everything was, uh, everything was stuck because of some dependencies. Um, I was horrified. Paolo felt humiliated, which is good because uh, this is how he found the strength to do all these things. And, and, and Jamin was really pissed off and decided that he, so he was not going. He only had three or four months left for his PhD and he really had to finish stuff. And so Paolo, as uh, any good scientist, turned his humiliation into something very, very positive. And that's really where Nextflow, that was a founding moment of Nextflow, where he knew he had to find a solution. And all, the, all these all these cloud issues got, got resolved. I don't want our friends at Amazon hanging up the virtual <laughs> Zoom phone at this point. Things worked <laughs> out great in the cloud. But uh, so tell us in your words, Cedric, what, what is Nextflow? So I, 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 Paulo hates it when I say this, but to me, Nextflow really is a kind of uh, HTML for pipelines. Let me explain. HTML, like you have some text, and in order to make the title look like a title, you frame it with, uh, with HTML tags, right? And this is going to say, well, this is a title. And you're not telling the brother how the title has to look like. The brother is going to know. Well, when Paolo started working on this pipeline language, the idea was that we were not going to rewrite all the pipelines. We had to use everything we had. We had to use every line of code we had because this is too much work and too much money to re-benchmark everything. And so the idea was that you had to be able to take an existing pipeline and to cut out the bits and pieces of computation, doing computing the alignment, turning the alignment into the tree. And you had to be able to put some kind of tag around these things telling, this is receiving this kind of data and this is going to produce that kind of data. And that's why I call it HTML for pipelines really. But the real smart idea Paolo had was that rather than using the usual flow, which would have looked like makefile, really, he stumbled on this reactive programming thing. And that was really, you know, his, uh, his really smart idea on this thing to turn everything upside down because uh, this is very low level and this is very technical, but it makes everything amazingly scalable because every unit of computation doesn't need to know where it's what is going to happen or how it fits in the big picture. Every unit of computation simply needs to do some computation, and that 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 really changes everything. Right. The certainly the uh, the adoption of Nextflow and the community, you know, started in the lab and then spread to Europe, and then and you know now we're seeing it, you know, across the globe. And the European was very much research institutions and institutions and academia at the time. But how did he get the first part of the process going, which was just engaging people in the lab to use this tool, get them to buy in? Uh, you know, what, what was how did that work out? So that's the thing. You know, you 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 don't get big if you don't start small. And to start small, you really have to engage your colleagues. And, and your colleagues in the lab especially PhD students, they have no time to lose and they have no time to waste being instrumentalized as guinea pig for one project or another. So as a PhD supervisor, I was certainly not in position to tell the students, and now you're going to use Nextflow because we have to use Nextflow. And no, that, that had to come naturally. And the reason it came naturally 
is because the idea of the proposition sounded so attractive from the start. You know, you have this pipeline, and if you write it, if you make a little bit of an effort to use the next flow syntax, in, in, then suddenly it can run as smoothly as you want on the computer, on the on the on your laptop, on 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 the on, on the Amazon cloud if you want, or on the CRG cluster. And that was a naturally appealing prospect for the students. And that's really what made Nextflow successful from the start because Nextflow was being used by the people for whom it had been designed. And I, I really credit entirely Paolo for achieving this level of engagement. And one other thing that worked, you know, it's uh, so Paolo loved making live demonstrations. And live demonstrations are usually a recipe for this. He still does. I, I cannot imagine that he would have stopped. And live demonstrations are usually a, a recipe for disaster. You know, even the simplest thing, they stop working when you make them live. That there is a, there is a, this is a, a, a law of the universe. I'm sure that if a Schrodinger, Schrodinger cat was making live presentation, then they, they, they will stay alive on each side or something like this. <laughs> it, it, it really is, it really is difficult. And, and Paolo, for some reason, and, and that's probably not a random reason, always managed to do perfect live demonstration. And that really engaged people in thinking, wow, cool, if this can be done in five minutes like this, I can do it as well. And that's how it all started. None of the people who got really involved in Nextflow were supposed to work on Nextflow. This was not supposed to be their project. You know, they jumped in because they found it so exciting. And that's especially Evan. That's the case with Evan Flodden. Right, right. Yeah, we're going to come to Evan in a, in a little bit. So it sounds like that, 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 so fact that it solved a problem, the fact that it was simple really drove that adoption within the lab. And I think, you know, as we talked before, that's what really started to drive the, the uh, community engagement outside of the lab as well, right? The involvement by various uh, European research and academic institutions and, and that started to snowball from there. And I was, you know, I was around with uh, in the HPC world and you were our customer at Unova back in, back in the day with Grid Engine. So we were kind of following what was going on and we, we did some of the early work with containers with you folks as well. So, you know, you talked about cloud and Paulo's early experiments and maybe some of the lack of early success there. But, you know, as containers came along and as the cloud came along and as Nextflow came along, all this kind of became possible, right? Can you talk a little bit about yes. that? Yeah, I mean, this, uh, this was, uh, so let's, let's be clear. Paulo proved to be extremely forward-looking in, uh, in the lab. And I still remember the day he told us uh, uh, um, Docker will be a thing. And at the time, Docker was nothing. Docker did not really exist. We had tried that stuff on Amazon, and it was difficult. And then Docker came along. But it's only, I think, two years later that Google said that Docker was a thing. And uh, uh, the same with code repositories. We had the chance to have Paolo, who really had an interest in how the field was moving. And while we were also lucky, let's say, it, we were also lucky that our expectations were met with the way the technology was developing. And things that were possible on paper, but not yet possible in practice, gradually became possible in practice. And that made a huge difference. But of course, and as you mentioned, nothing would have happened if Paolo had not also engaged the community. And this uh, Nextflow mailing list has been amazingly active. And, and, uh, and it's been Paolo's single-handedly 
for many years, you know, managing an entire community. And, and, and that was really, really something that, that, that worked great. Uh, um, but I don't know if we, we can uh, say, you know, when and how it became a, a, a high impact project. And that's really something that happened shortly before we, 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 we published the paper which uh, is something you may want me to touch about a little bit or yeah well let's let's go there because that you know uh evan floden showed up right and i think things things started to change in the product project at that point and, uh tell, tell me about uh, how paulo and evan worked together how that changed and where the project went from there so as i think so so we had this great uh, uh pipeline language which was very useful in the lab and, um, and we had to publish it because, you know, you have to publish these things. It's a, my, my lab is an academic lab. If we don't publish well, it looks like we have done nothing. Now, there were at the time, so when we started, we thought we were the only one because uh, Snakemake was, was not published yet. So it, it, I'm sure it existed with its own community. But uh, when we really, when, when Paulo really started NextFlow in uh, uh, 2012, I think, was the first, you know, pilot version. I'd have to look. That 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 was not so. That was not known. The only alternative was Galaxy, and Galaxy was very complicated. And then there was CWL, and it was Galaxy was not complicated, but Galaxy was not really designed for the kind of, um, you know, of a high throughput computation we wanted to make. And and uh, it was not really common line driven and all these kind of things. And so. Uh, uh, um, this was great, and we were going to have a very nice pipeline language, but we did not have something exceptional that could be given to the community as, look, we are solving problems nobody can solve. And that changed with Evan, because one day Evan figured out that Evan was very interested in all this virtualization. And he figured out and told me we were having a pizza, actually, with Paolo and Evan on parallel which is a famous avenue in Barcelona. And so if you, if you do something on parallelization, you want to have a pizza on parallel, right? And so we were having a pizza and, and, and Evan mentioned, you know, there is something strange. When I run all these pipelines, all these RNA quantification pipelines on different flavors of Linux, I get different results. And I thought, wow, this is crazy. And I said, but you're sure it's not random seed? No, he said, everything is controlled, same version, same random seed, everything should be exactly identical. And it's not perfectly identical. And I said, well, let's, let's have a look. <laughs> and he was right. This was, you will be running exactly the same analysis on two different flavors of Linux, and you will get slightly different results. Why is that? You know, think of a computer as, uh, as, as, as a machine with every line of code being a moving part. This is by far the most complex machine we've ever created. It cannot be stable. And, and these tiny fluctuations, they are neglectable from a scientific point of view. But if you, if you are making a medical treatment, if you're making something that has to be robust, it has to be the same. And it is Evan who nailed it. And that really was a selling point for pushing the paper in Nature Biotech. Oh, that's interesting. It's a, a, a big evolution now followed as well. But uh, let's just talk about some of the first customers that came on board. I think SciLife Labs in Sweden was one of the early early customers. And, uh, many of you will know Phil Yules, who's there, and, 
and integral to that and also integral to NF Core. You know, were you involved in, in those early customers and bringing them along? And, and how do you see NF Core fitting into the, the picture now? Well, you know, NF Core is amazing because now we are doing this. Um, we're involved in a European project called BOFREG, which is about um, improving uh, 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 improving farm animal breeding. You know, uh, I, I understand that eating meat is a problem these days, but uh, it's not like this is going to stop overnight. So if we want this thing to be as sustainable as possible, we have to figure out ways to improve breeding, to improve, to, 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 to fasten the improvement of genetic breeding. You know, in this way you have animals that are going to be more efficient and, and, and can be treated better. And, you know, there are a lot of things. And so uh, um, NFCore is essential in the harmonization of data analysis that is required by these projects. We must have everybody running the same pipelines everywhere. And what NFCore brought to us was that we made a language and they turned the language into a standout. And what, if NextFlow was um, a drug, you know, a, a, a molecule, I'd say that NFCore is the pill in which you put the molecule and you give it to as many people as possible. And so the, the increase of outreach that NFCore has given us is amazing. And it makes, you know, a lot of things suddenly become possible. But it, it really is a construction for NFCore, for, for people as good as the Solar Life Lab people to feel that they had to put their forces on NextFlow. NextFlow had to be very good. And NFCore is absolutely great, which is then making it easier. Uh, uh, um, I think NFCore was one of the reasons to feel the energy to move into DLS2, which is making NextFlow modular and all these type of things. So all of these things really have, there is a strong synergetic relationship between all these projects. And then it's it's absolutely amazing to see these things becoming alive, you know, and then out of our hands, really. Yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing, seeing a big shift in the marketplace when I first started getting involved with NextFlow. People that were coming to us for the commercial offerings or for help with open source were, uh, we're NextFlow users, and now we're seeing people come to us because they see the beauty and the, the robustness and the, the, the richness of all of these uh, NFCore pipelines, and they're saying, hey, I'm going to use NextFlow because I found 51 pipelines on the NFCore website that look like some of them can help me and such, right? So we'll post a link to NFCore. I'm sure a lot of you you know about those pipelines, but yeah, we're, we're seeing that as a major driver for adoption now and just really helping customers kind of leapfrog from, oh, I have to build this, this pipeline for RNA-seq or for eager. And no, I'm just going to take one off the shelf and get to work and start getting scientific results. It's a big, big difference. And you'd think, you know, you'd think places like the EBI are skeptical, but they are not. They are very supportive. For instance, we, mm -hmm. within the BovRec project, we had this discussion with, uh, Peter Harris, who takes care of a pipeline at the EBI, but the question put to our little community was, well, should we go for the EBI pipeline or for the NFCore pipeline? And the answer of the EBI was very clear. The EBI pipeline are great, but they are great when data is totally stable and, and, and stabilized, entirely public. But, you know, the, all the intermediate layer, it has to be more agile, more flexible. And NFCore pipelines are great for this. You know, you can... 
You can integrate the data as it comes. You can explore different ways of managing the data, of uh, of analyzing the data, and that's what you want. So this is this is, and it's interestingly, and of course, it's two things really. It's a set of uh, golden pipelines that you want to use all the time. But for us, it is also a standard, and and all the new pipelines we are doing, even if they are not necessarily meant to become part of the core of NFCore are still, we still make an effort to develop them at NFCore standards so that they can be interoperated with NFCore. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah, we're seeing that as well. And there's just so many best practices that have come out of NFCore that people are now using, you know, in our organization and in our customers' organizations where you're right, it's not necessarily a pipeline from NFCore, but it's following those best practices, and those ways of doing things for, for testing and modularization and all those other kinds of good things. We're seeing a lot of that actually with, with the COVID effort as well, right? There's next level pipelines yeah. for identifying variant strains and sequencing the virus for therapeutics and vaccine programs. It's very widespread. Some of that's with NFCore pipelines. Some of that's been developed. Well, a lot of it's been developed in the UK and, and elsewhere, of course. But you know, tell us about, about some of what you're seeing there with, with the uh, COVID efforts. Yeah, so something amazing. And it's uh, uh, so I understand that uh, about 50% of the COVID data has been going through uh, NextFlow powered pipelines or NFCore powered pipelines. And it does not surprise me. And I, I don't think this happened because people love NextFlow or NFCore. This happened because these were the easiest tools to, dev, to, to deploy. These were the easiest solutions for, for problems that were amazingly urgent to solve. And it's right. absolutely amazing how much, how rapid this effort has been, you know, how rapidly we managed to integrate as a, as a collective endeavor, how rapidly we managed to integrate such massive amounts of data. And I'm not going to say that this was made possible by NextFlow because this, this will be an exaggeration, but I'm extremely proud to think that NextFlow, this project we developed for us, for the needs of a tiny lab, that this has provided some kind of contribution to this essential effort. And uh, and, and I, I, I still think that one of the reasons it has been so successful with the community is because of the way it started. It started with little money and it had to be useful immediately. You know, it's, uh, we, we discussed this before with the students to engage the students. You are not going to engage the student with something very, very complicated that required uh, two months of learning and training before you could run anything. You are going to engage the students if somebody reasonably learned in Linux could just take a template plug in their own stuff and get something working in a half day. That's how you engage people. And that's one of the reasons we engage such a large crowd because these are effective solutions. Yeah, I think it was all about getting getting immediate results or as fast as possible and reusing what was out there. We're still seeing that in the covert effort. You know, just just in the last couple of days, I've been on calls talking to people about how they want to push that that uh, variant identification out into almost the street level, out in the field labs and the public health labs and those kinds of things across the globe so that they can do identification much, much faster than in central organizations like the CDC, et cetera, right? So we're, we're seeing a real shift and we're seeing more and more uh, adoption of all these, these NF core tools, but other pipelines as well that are going right out to the field level for, for use. So I'm gonna shift, shift gears a little bit. We're not done yet. 
I want to talk about, uh, jump into the rapid fire section. So I'm going to ask you a question. You give me your thoughts uh-huh. in about 60 seconds or less, just really quickly off the cuff. So that, that, uh, first, that's a great opportunity to say something stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I'm setting you up basically. Exactly. So what will be dramatically different about the way bioinformatics will be performed in the next five or 10 years? What's going to change in bioinformatics? In other words, I, I you know, I, I, I'm going to say something very lame, but, but it's obvious to everybody. This deep learning is uh, is really is really changing everything. Uh, nobody expected that deep learning would work so fast and so well. And you can uh, you can ask yourself what happened. Uh, uh, is it because uh, because there's no real breakthrough on the algorithmic side? You know the the the, the networks. The neural networks, they are not so different from what they used to be 20 years ago, but the computers have changed and the data has changed. And I like, you know, if you think about AlphaFold, everybody thinks that AlphaFold has solved the protein folding problem. No, they have not. They have done something even better because AlphaFold is taking on one side multiple alignments and on one side PDPs. And multiple alignments, what are they? They are experiments made by nature where you can see which mutations will preserve a fold. And PDB are experiments made by human to see, uh, to see, to see a 3D structure. And alpha fold is just liquefying all of these experiments so that they can be combined. And now, thanks to alpha fold, we talk the language of evolution. So that's something extraordinary. And this is just starting, you know. There is not a single aspect of biology that will not be impacted by deep learning. And how does Nextflow feel fit there? Fit, sorry. It's because the the all of this neural network, it's about processing data so that it can be fed to some neural network process. And the processing of the data is where action is happening now. You acquire data, you process data, and these things are having a huge impact. The the, the most ambitious project I know of now is the Earth Biogenome. 1.5 million eukaryotic genomes that are going to be sequenced over the next 10 years. All of this data has to be processed and and, and will be probably fed to some bigger than ever neural network. So this is is something that is really changing bioinformatics and biology. That's that's, that's fascinating. We're seeing lots of machine learning and deep learning, certainly in, in the customer base right now and real practical applications for precision medicine where they're applying machine learning models. So I'm gonna shift gears and, and have a, ask a little less serious question. Do you have insights as to why Paulo hates pineapple on pizza so much? He oh yeah, it's very it. clear. He's so, he's no, so no, yeah, yeah. it's very clear. Paolo, like many Italians, never recovered from the fact that uh, Marco Polo brought pizza from Hawaii. It's very clear, you know, on one of his trips from Hawaii, he came with his pineapple pizza and there it was. And, and, I, and I don't think the Italians ever recovered from Marco Polo traveling from Hawaii. Yeah, I think he. It's an out. Twitter's an outlet for him to to vent on that topic. That, that, that the only the only rational explanation I have. <laughs> I like it. What are your favorite movies? Uh, any 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 one of Wes Anderson really. It's, it's, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Life Aquatic being uh, being above everything. Uh, okay, I'm going to have to check that out because I'm not I'm not familiar. It's what are your one. three favorite go to tools to get your work done at CRG? Well, as we're saying, you know, without Nextflow, my lab is dead. Uh, without uh, without the Google tools, you know, uh, with Gmail and all these kind of things, you know, I, I I could not survive. 
and uh, yeah, and that that's about it. <laughs> and Zoom, obviously, yeah. who will survive with Zoom? Especially I have, these days, I, have, right? I have no share and no interest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disclaimer. <laughs> Cedric, this has been fun. It's been really interesting for me. I, I quite enjoyed it. We've talked about sort of the history and the evolution of, of next low flow from the lab from the early days. Uh, in the next episode, I'm going to have Evan Floden come on and uh, maybe defend himself, but also uh, talk <laughs> about where uh, sort of the next the next level. So so next flow moves from being a community project and it's still a community project, but also now there's the commercial entity, Sakara Labs. So we're going to talk a little bit about where things have gone from a commercial perspective and where Sakara Labs is going in the next episode. But I do want to thank you again, Cedric. Really enjoyed speaking with you and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. And let me say how how proud I am to have seen uh, next flow. You know, this guy just raised, you guys just raised this, uh, to uh, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative grants from a pro for a project that started in a tiny lab. This is amazing. So thank you, thank you for inviting me and uh, giving me a chance to, to to talk with you about all these things. Well, congratulations as well on on the success because you're you're instrumental in all of that as yeah. well. So thank you. A little bit. <laughs> bye bye. Yeah. See you. Thank you very much. See you. Yeah.